we're about to play a game. It's called Love in Action. And if you're new with us or if you're an introverted type, sorry for this extroverted dynamic I'm throwing at you. But we're going to stand up. And we've all played rock, paper, scissors, shoot. This is a little different, though. We're going to say love is, and on shoot, you have to say an action that love is. So love is mowing the grass for a neighbor who can't. Love is doing the dishes for my wife or my husband. <laughs> you get the idea. So find someone beside you. Start. Love is. And if you win, you raise your hand. You find someone else raising their hand. You play with them. If you lose, you cheer the winner on. So you have to know their name. If you don't know their name, just grab it real quick before they go on to the next person. Winners, make your way towards the front. By the end, we'll have two people standing here, and we'll have baptism kind of ruckus going on. All right? So you have to do it simultaneously. It's the first one who can't think of something on the heart. Love is, and you're both talking at the same time, eventually someone's going to come up. You know, like, tongue-tied. Does that make sense? Just try it. You'll see. All right. Go for it. I was going to have Jenny Pitson come up and demonstrate with me. She's not here today because of a sick child. But we actually did something similar at the workplace we both, we both work for. And we were the final two. And it was crazy. But um, well, I think I started off with this weird group icebreaker. What was going on there? Well, I don't have to tell you how many different definitions and ideas misconceptions and false about love out there in the world. And um, as Ben talked about last time, love is an action. And so just getting it in our rhythm, in ourselves, not only in our heads and our hearts, but in our actions, this is kind of an experiment that I wanted you to experience God's love in action. Um, as I have personally through the study of this week. So whether you won because you could come up with a, a quick-witted response or you had teammates cheering you on, um, if you've experienced giving or receiving love here amongst us in this time and space, you've experienced God. And as we will hear in our reading of the scripture, God is love. Um, in English, is, is like the math symbol. Equals, thank you. And just as in math, A equals B, B equals A. Then it falls to reason that if God love, love, then They're synonymous. God is love and love is God. So that what you just experienced in participating with others on your team or as the winner, that's love. That's God in the here and now. But this is where it gets rather tricky, and we'll revisit it a bit more later. But for now, let's take that line of thought, or rather the experience we just had into our reading of this letter from 1 John. There's no way I can recap all the teachings from the previous parts of this series of 1 John. But here's a few highlights I want to bring up before we dive into the reading of chapter 4. And they're as follows. First, Doug started us off 
by receiving the scriptures as we listen to this book read in its entirety. Then JR followed it up by talking about the tattoos on our foreheads to live congruently as Christians. And the last time we gathered in this space, Ben told us, as children of the identity giver, our chief identity marker is love, and love is an action. So last time we walked through these doors, the benediction was both a call and a challenge. God has put his love for you in action. You are beloved children of the one true God and gracious God. Now go, love somebody. These approaches have invited us to experience John's letter by first receiving, second, recognizing our identity and being aware, and third, applying who we are in Christ to what we do in our everyday lives. At least that's my perception of how the teachings in this letter of 1 John have been shaping me this summer. Today, there's yet another approach or practice I'd like to invite you to experience with me and this scriptures. It's a combination of both reflection and response. We'll read the passage twice, first straight through, and then I'll read it again with my own research, reflections, or responses interwoven with space for a pause. Now, for you extroverts who enjoyed the group game, this may feel funny or uncomfortable, but try to find the power in the pause, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can think of these two questions to guide you. First, what did you hear from the Holy Spirit? And second, what are you going to do with what you just heard? If the Spirit does move you to respond publicly or verbally, you may do so. Similar to the Quaker's practice of meeting in silence and speaking from that as the base, however, I remind you that this silence is not intended to be filled with frivolous talk, but to cultivate and gain a greater sensitivity to God's presence in the here and now. Just as love evokes a response, one of the best ways to love is by deeply, even actively listening. So all that said, I'm going to ask my husband, Dwayne, to come up and read 1 John 4 straight through for reflection. And then I will read it a second time in smaller increments for our time of personal and corporate response. The word or idea of love is used 43 times in this letter, and 27 of them are in this short section. Love's a big theme here. So let's go back from the beginning and break it down. And as I read, um, I'll take a couple, couple verses or chunks at a time for us to reflect and respond again. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. What did you hear from the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do with what you just heard? John was writing to believers everywhere. 
Some of you here today may not consider yourself a believer, but as you listen, I encourage all of you to be mindful of what the Spirit may be speaking in you and test if it's the Holy Spirit or the voice of a false prophet. Verse 2 talks about acknowledging, not only intellectually, for demons know and shudder, but also confess publicly. And then going into verse 3, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, John writes. In his day, the false teachings John is addressing is what we call Gnosticism today. The Gnostics, meaning secret knowledge, among other things, taught that the spirit was good and the flesh was evil or compartmentalized them. So the divine spirit Christ came upon the human Jesus at his baptism and then left him at the cross so that it was only the man, the flesh, Jesus, who died. Going on, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever's not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Verse 6, Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God because they are enabled to believe by the spirit of truth. Dear friends, let us love one another For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What did you hear from the Holy Spirit? And what are you going to do with what you just heard? Verse 8 is the first time we hear God is love. Jesus did not come to make God's love possible, but to make God's love visible. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God. God lives in him and he in God. 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Some of us don't have to look any further than our own hometown to see the violence, the hate, and the disorder of this world. Verse 16, what non-spiritual things do we know and rely on? Our professional training, our electronics, fill in the blank. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What did you see or hear from the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do with what you just heard? Verse 16 is the second time we hear God is love. And I didn't know we'd have visitors this morning, but verse 18, fear has to do with punishment. Back in May, there was an Ecclesia-sponsored webinar on gracious parenting by Meredith Dancos, I believe is her last name. She's the teaching pastor at the Meeting House and has degrees in both divinity and psychology. She said, our framework for parenting is as lovers of Jesus. She talked about disciplining that brings out the best or a blessing versus punishing, shame, pain, and blame. A good question she challenged us to ask ourselves is, am I trying to make my child pay or learn for what they've done? Discipline means to be a learner or a follower of the truth. Sorry, disciple. Disciple, which is the root of discipline, which means to teach or to draw forth from another. Mistakes are opportunities to learn. When we react to a situation or a circumstance that gives children negative messages, we may mean well, but are often responding in a way that's based in fear. We go to punishment. But what we really want is grace, which is both kind and firm. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. What did you hear from the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do with what you just heard? My brother-in-law, who you just saw in the video, Josh, Josh Jefferson, was baptized at our recent celebration together. And he concluded this about a study of First John he did. The three big things that prove a true or a false Christian are whether or not they believe in Jesus as the Son of God, they live in obedience, or they love one another. In short, this letter was written to confirm not if, but that the readers who were obedient 
loving believers had eternal life. These conditions really redefine the criteria for two Christians. In John's day and age, it was Gnosticism, and today it may be other isms. If you know of or have followed Pete Rollins or Rob Bell, you know the controversy around the fact they have made some theologically unorthodox claims about love. But does this mean that they are not truly Christian? According to John's criteria in this letter, they seem pretty safe. Perhaps me even saying that's hard to hear. Or going back to the point I made earlier when I said God is love and therefore love is God could call to mind questions of heresy for some of you. And I'm aware that my words are challenging, whether it's today or things I've said in my previous teachings. Topics like love, peace, and justice are not only challenging but controversial. But rather than judgment, turn to wonder. I wonder what they meant when they said that. Or what about that resonated with him or her? In listening to the Holy Spirit and John, it's important to test the spirits. So let me clarify a little that unlike we've now seen in esoteric or pantheistic systems and concepts such as mind science, Eastern monism, and New Age, the phrase love is God commonly means that God is not a person who can love or be loved, but rather a cosmic force called love with which we love each other. I do not believe this, and that's not what I mean when I say the words love is God. First, unlike the straight English understanding that I started with and that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me in my study this week, Elliot Miller's research reveals that grammatical structure in the Greek prohibits inferring love is God like a synonym or a mathematical formula equation. God is not an impersonal principle, but a personal being. And love is not just the force that is present in all of us. Rather, in the context of 1 John 4, the phrase is used in association with God sending his son to love and be love in action for us. Jesus, that wet concrete visual of love. Jesus' life of selfless service and his sacrificial death for our sins is love's full expression. Jesus showed us that God's love is the most powerful way possible to eradicate our pride, our smugness, our con condensation. condescension. So again, I say love, ultimate and supreme love is God, God with us, Emmanuel. Second, God's love and ours, it's relational. We are part of a social unit, the body of Christ, to minister to each other's needs with our gifts. Just as the love in action game demonstrated, love is here. Love is in this body of believers and the experience in this moment. Love existing from the beginning with God. Love that came in the physical and visual of Jesus, his son. And love that we receive and respond to in the present through the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. God is love. 
love is God. I don't always understand it, nor properly articulate it in my words and actions. But to borrow the lyrics from one of my favorite Phillips Crangadine songs, each time I come into your presence, I stand in wonder once again, because your grace still amazes me. Your love is a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees because your grace still amazes me. And at the end of my teaching today and my time here, or ultimately my time on this earth, I would consider it an honor and a joy if Jesus looks at me and not only sees himself in me, but is reminded of his first cousin, that disciple whom he loved and was called a son of thunder, John. My, if only I could live my life in such a way as to be at the end of it and still speaking words or writing letters of encouragement for future generations of believers and Christ followers like what we've reflected on and responded to from John today.